This episode is brought to you by Portland Distro. If you love underground music and movies, go to portlanddistro.com for licensed shirts, vinyl, CDs, and more. Go to portlanddistro.com. Plug in the discount code MikeHill666 for 15% off at portlanddistro.com. This week, we have Terrence Hahnem and Erica Bergner Hahnem returning to the podcast. It's been a while, and it's great to talk to those guys. Of course, Terrence is in Locrian, and both of them are in the excellent electronic band Holy Circle. This time around, I wanted to talk about their brand new collaboration, Mother of Size. There's quite an interesting story behind that, so check it out. How have you guys been doing? It's been a, a very tumultuous uh, 15 months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, some, I mean, it's hard to gauge. I think uh, when you, I think obviously like, not none of us have gotten COVID or, you know, and our kids haven't. So I feel, you know, and our, we have jobs. So it's like, we can't really like, um, you know, obviously it's just a lot of uncertainty, um, you know, to, towards things. And you worry about, you know, even five minutes ago about like, you know, for us, like how our kids, we have a kid who can't get vaccinated yet. Um, just like, you know, you know, moving forward and helping, helping him like, uh, adapt to what it is. So, I mean, it's been weird. Yeah. It's, it's, it's been, uh, when this whole thing started, I thought about, um, a book I read several years ago, uh, guns, germs, and steel and disease and, uh, you know how the Europeans wiped out the Native Americans basically with you know viruses and you know the same thing in South America and all that yeah. kind of stuff. And I was like, yeah, this is like there's going to be no shortcut to solving this this type of problem. You know? No, I mean I think you know it's kind of this. I for me it's sort of this vicious cycle of guilt because I I recognize that you know Terrence and I have been very lucky in a lot of ways like you know our we've managed to keep our day jobs we haven't been laid off or lost our jobs like many of our other friends have we've managed to continue making music because we have our day jobs our children our two kids have been healthy throughout um we've been healthy as far as we know we haven't caught covid and we've you know been you know safe and but that you know but then I feel guilty about that because we have a lot of musician friends who have not been so lucky with um you know their health they haven't been they haven't been able to to write music make music because um of the obstacles that this has created you know for Terrence and I we have um, a little home studio set up. So, I mean, you know, we're able to just, and, you know, collab being like each other's like sort of like primary collaborators, we're able to, you know, just go like carve out time easily to, to write. And I know not everyone has 
you know, if you're in like a band band with four individuals who live in different places, it's really challenging. And and if your if your income was touring, you know, if that supplemented your income or was your income, I mean, it's been yeah. Yeah. So it makes me think like, you know, so then I start thinking like what potentially important music have we missed out on? Will we miss out on that? That couldn't, couldn't be made because, because of the obstacles, you know, um, to make, you know what I mean? I feel like, like we don't even, we can't even like wrap our heads around as far as just like music is concerned, we can't even wrap our heads around like what, what, what we've lost because of this. I, you know, I think a lot about that lately, you know, um, cause you can't like, I know for myself, I, you know, it, it's really difficult to get in a creative space and a creative mindset and write music when you know, you're worried about how you're going to pay bills or like how you're going to be able to afford to buy food. And um, if you're afraid to <laughs> leave your house, you know, because you have like a compromised immune system or, you know, you're just afraid that, you know, you can't control what's out there you know and you can't control getting sick necessarily I mean I just think like how how difficult this has probably been for a lot of musicians um to continue creating because of this yeah and also the people that are uh, the crew you know crew types out there who work as uh you know sound guys drivers merch people and that they're they're the ones who are out on tour most of the year trying to make a living and now it's like what do i do now you know i get it yeah and and there's not even jobs to go to it's not even like okay well i can work like you know get a job at like uh, a waiter or something like that that's not even available you know yeah well i think it's all like tentative too it's like all right so you get a job and you're you know I'm sure there are a lot of like, uh, you know, just like you get that job hoping that you're going to get that message. Like we're back on the road, you know, like it's, it's happening. So it's hard to take another job that requires you to do a whole other skill set and, um, you know, a whole different lifestyle and, you know, um, and, but, and you're also like, you don't want to commit yourself to something because then all of a sudden, what if the road opens back up and you're able to get back out there and, yeah. yeah, I mean, and, and do sound and do lights and, you know, it's like, you know, we have a lot of friends here in the city, you know, in Baltimore that are, you know, run sound and are in bands and, you know, just hearing what they've been going through and the how they're trying to adapt and it's been tough. I mean, as and, and, you know, now we're in the period where venues are trying to reopen and shows are kind of coming back and it's this lurching, you know, a show comes back and then the venue closes and then the show gets, you know, it's like we're at this weird space like uh and and i i can't even imagine you know for people that that was like that was their livelihood you know like it's it's got to be very uh distressing yeah we we had uh we were planning on touring this fall and uh we ended up stepping back from that just because of uh everyone else trying to be out on the road and uh just all the complexities with with how things are going and also a lot of a lot of our 
the dates that we got back were in these kind of B and C markets, yeah. which, uh, which are in these like uh, states that uh, I'm not really ready to visit just yet. You know, yeah. Right? I, I hear you. I think, man, like uh, putting together a tour. I mean, I, I get, you know, like we're, we have a show we're probably going to do in October for with the Holy Circle. And we're still kind of like, it's a friend putting it on at a venue we trust and everything, but we're just like, you know, we might, you know, you're, it's like, you're kind of day to day by day, like playing it by year. I mean, and we're in Maryland, which is doing fairly well. Um, but it's, you know, it's, uh, but then you just had like, um, I think, um, Metro gallery just kind of hit pause on a bunch of their shows like this week. Um, and that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's those like repercussions that affect. So if they do that, then that's how many tours did that affect, you know, and how many bands now have a hole where they were going to be in Baltimore. And, you know, you know, it, it's just like the repercussions kind of spread out. It's, it's a, uh, it's a frustrating situation, but, you know, I'm sure you, know, you got to look at your own health and your band and your team. And like, you know, you want to make sure that everybody's going to be safe and what can you control? Right. You know, and, and, and that's the thing you got to do, Mike. I mean, it's yeah. not, we're not quite there yet. You know? No, we're not. And that's, yeah. that was like, uh, that, that was a realization that we all came to. And we, I think we all feel pretty good about what we decided yeah. to do. I mean, we're, we're, um, we're doing a couple of shows in November though. Uh, we're playing with nuclear assault and, uh, and then yeah, I saw that. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's going to be crazy, man. And then, um, we're also doing a show with Island with Evoken, right? Yes. That one, oddly enough, that one, <laughs> this is kind of funny, like that was the first show that we got had to get canceled in, uh, in 2020 as a result of the pandemic, and now we uh, rescheduled so. it. So hopefully, you know, all goes well, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think the one-off shows might be, <laughs> might be the only thing to really kind of like plan on for a while. I mean, like we because Terrence and I are teachers, we plan, if we are going to tour, it's going to happen during the summertime. Right. So we've, we've now lost like summer two, of, yeah. two summers where, you know, we weren't able to do any touring, um, get out of the area and play, play shows. So, um, you know, and I can only imagine if I, if we were individuals whose livelihood depended on that touring you know um again which again like we've been we've been lucky because we have job jobs to kind of like get us through financially but you know it's like what it does to you like your your spirit though yeah. <laughs> as a creative person is like a whole different yeah like, I a mean, whole different conversation it's like creatively like playing live, like getting a new song out live and kind of like finding the contours and, you know, I mean, it's like that thing you miss, like you hit, you feel the audience respond and you're like, yeah, that part's a good part or oh, that part's too, you know, it's like, you don't get that. Like when you're at home kind of like doing stuff, you don't get that immediate response where, you know, you have someone who's seen you before come up and be like, well, what was that song or whatever? And you have, and you realize like, you get that immediate reaction um, versus like, you know, you're just, 
in your basement and or you're trading files or whatever you know like like and, and creating in um, a digital space there's nothing wrong with that because I, I do it all the time but you know like with you know locrian or the holy circle or whatever it's like being live you know you feel it and you realize that there's a cooler you know maybe you come back to the practice station like that part should go longer like i i feel that that's a good you know like the response is great or or this part just drags on you know <laughs> and like you know like you, you that happens live you know that's like a live thing that it's it's hard to um you can't replicate that you know yeah, I mean, we have uh, two records that we released that we haven't played pretty much any of those songs live, with the exception yeah. of some of the stuff on Monarchy of Shadows was able to be performed because we'd written that, like, you know, in 2019, and we were able to play that yeah. on those those dates. But uh, nothing that is on uh, Under Sullen Skies has actually been performed in front of a real audience. I mean, we... Oh, man. We did... Um, you know, these live recordings, like these videos. And, you know, there was like a handful of friends present while we were shooting those things, but it was yeah. definitely not like an audience. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's, it's just different. It's just different. Yeah. You know? But it's forced me and I'm sure everyone else out there to kind of go into this uh, internal world uh, of the imagination and the mind, which is also kind of a slippery slope and uh you know like of this really really deep introspective period and uh you mm -hmm. know it, se it seems like it's funny because uh terrence like you and i have been talking about collaborating and and uh you know we had plans to do something for the last tombs record but then of course the lockdown and we weren't able yeah. to connect and then uh I asked you about doing some uh cues for uh necromaniacs the other podcast that's right <laughs> i think that so might have been uh, one of the, <laughs> the seeds for this other deep introspection that you, both of you seem to have gone into with uh, Mother yeah. of Size. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, we were, I, and, and I'm, I'm sorry I, I was so late. <laughs> um, but yeah, you, did, you asked me to do some cues for Necromaniacs and we we're talking about horror soundtracks and I started kind of writing these horror soundtracks and then I was like, playing them for Erica and I was like I think it'd be cool to get like like I was kind of thinking of like a Fabio Fritzi kind of style thing and um and then Erica really just kind of like started having all these ideas and and it and and it was started to make it shape it into something other than like a soundtrack cue and um and it, it took a while so I apologize for that but it so, <laughs> so that so that means it's my fault. It's your no, no, no. <laughs> that it took so long. Yeah, I don't know. I um, Terrence and I actually for more than a year have been talking about doing, you know, um, some soundtrack inspired side project, something or another. Yeah. But we didn't exactly know what it would be, and um, as a as a lyricist, I really have to have like strong ideas to kind of like move forward. And, uh, but it's kind of one of those things with me that like once, you know, once I have the idea, then I'm like really, 
you know, uh, I kind of, you know, plow through and it's like, you know, um, I'll have like these, like, you know, couple of days where I'm just like writing lyrics like crazy and then like editing and deciding what works and everything. And uh, I kind of just had, I had, um, I guess just like strong inspiration. It just um, occurred to me what it could be. Um, and I mean, cause I don't, I mean, it's really, you know, it's really popular right now to, um, you know, we have a, we see a lot of like, uh, side projects from musicians that are like, it's, you know, this is a soundtrack to a movie that doesn't exist kind of thing, you know, and I, like, I need to know, like, my mind doesn't work like that. Like, I need to know what the movie is, like, right. as the, like, as I'm writing the lyrics, I need to like, even if nobody else ever knows what it is I need to have like a fully realized idea in my head in order to write to it you know it can't be anything vague I'm just I need a really strong like you know source to write from and um and then it kind of like occurred to me that uh like kind of a lot of things that I've experienced and gone through um you know, are like my reality could often be as like terrifying as any like horror, <laughs> you know, horror concept that that we could could write around. So um, that's kind of like where where the idea came from, and like you know, with COVID and being stuck inside for many months. Um, definitely was yeah the terror levels kind high. of like <laughs> kind of like a conduce a conducive environment to you know um connecting to these ideas on the uh, death bomb band camp there's a very powerful essay that you wrote and uh sort of i guess that's essentially the summary of uh, the subject matter of the mother of size uh, project. And did that come first? And then the lyrics kind of were drawn from that? No, I, um, uh, well, I mean, it's hard to say it's kind of like a chicken or the egg kind of thing. I mean, I, I definitely, those, those ideas in the essay are, what the lyrics are about um but um the essay itself I wrote afterward and I kind of like wrote it in the 11th hour you know sort of like right before we had to have everything um to Brian at Death Bomb to 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 make sure things were ready for um to go live on um on Bandcamp Friday, and I actually wasn't sure if I was going to share it. I mean, I sort of was talking it through with parents and thinking like, you know, it's sort of like a twist on liner notes, I guess, was my idea. But, um, but I guess I sort of thought too, like, you know, 
write that the essay could be, you know, this standalone piece, you know, but like re in reading it and then listening to the music, my hope was that it would sort of like make sense to the listener. Oh, okay. This is like the source material for, for these lyrics, if that makes sense. And for these, like, and we, and for the aesthetics of this, uh, of this particular album. And there's lyrics, which I mean, I thought, I, I mean, for Erica in Holy Circle, we don't normally include the lyrics, like, in other projects, like, so I, I, I thought it was really important in this one to kind of have that statement and to have the lyrics available considering the subject matter. Um, you know, I thought it was a kind of interesting step for Erica to want to include those. And it's a lot of work for her. She edits her lyrics for a long time and comes back and forth and changes things. And, um, you know, I think it's it's neat to like include the work you know in there i i i was very very much affected by uh the essay like i was saying before we started recording i mean i, I read it through a couple times and um it really stuck with me for a while um and and i have to say that it's very admirable to be so frank in in a in a piece like that because uh you know, I mean, I, I play around with writing and, you know, I write lyrics and all that. And even though there are personal things that are um, expressed in the lyrics and the writing pieces, it's always uh, sort of, uh, you know, couched within allegory or symbolism or, or some kind of, uh, you know, um, analogy or something like that. But, but the essay was very, very uh, vulnerable and, um, and frank and, uh, it, it's uh, it's very it's very powerful. Just that's you know what I have to say I'm, about it. I'm glad. Thank you. Um, I mean, I this is new. It's new territory for me for sure. I mean, like Terrence said, I I usually don't even share my lyrics, and and that comes from a couple places. One of insecurity. You know, right? Writers tend to be very insecure people. Sure. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's like, like, you know, there's this hope that if you don't share the lyrics, um, maybe, maybe the listener will be left unsure of exactly what, you know, what I'm singing. Um, but there's also, it's also because I always sort of, you know, felt that, you know, I don't, one, I don't owe it to the listener to tell them what to make of what I'm saying. Um, but two, that it sort of robs them of the experience to, you know, interpret as they will. But um, I think I started like that, that thinking definitely has shifted with this project. I kind of feel like it's really important you know, like I, I, I don't, you know, even though it's like horror and soundtrack, you know, it's, it's, it's still like, you know, it's a, it's a serious topic and it's a heavy topic, you know, it's like, I, I, and I, and I do think that like people don't, you know, speaking of horror films, I don't 
think that people always take horror films as seriously as other, you know, other films. And I think like, you know, I kind of wanted to just like make it, make the listener like sort of give them the chance to understand like the weight of this and the importance of this. And I do think that it's really still very, even though obviously people are, have been talking in current news a lot more about mental health um, <laughs> with Simone Biles and, and uh, you know, there's like Lingua Noda, you know, writing songs about um, that, you know, are in that universe of, uh, you know, mental, emotional health. I mean, I think it's still like very stigmatized to, you know, to talk about it openly. And it's something that I, I've struggled with since childhood. I just didn't have a name for it, you know? And it's sure. like, um, and definitely like, you know, the moment when I became a mother sort of took me to a different plateau, if you will, of, you know, experiences with anxiety and depression. And I think like, you know, that was, you know, sort of, you know, I've had because of COVID had a lot of time <laughs> and therapy to process like what I've, um, what I've been dealing with and sort of like, you know, ignored or, um, you know, pushed away uh, for many years. Um, and I think like, as a as a writer and a musician and a vocalist who was singing my own lyrics, it was like, I, I felt like I was in a place where I, I'm ready to like, you know, to, to grow and push myself. And that felt like a really, <laughs> a really good way to push myself is to like make my, you know, push myself into some discomfort and make myself do something that I would never, I would have never done before, you know? And it feels really vulnerable and scary. I'm still kind of like, oh, my God. Like, you know, every now and then I'm like, oh. <laughs> that's out there. <laughs> that's, that's there. <laughs> People can read that. But but I feel like it feels liberating in a way, you know. Sure. Like, you know, um, I'm not like hiding it, trying to pretend like it isn't a part of who I am, you know. Um so, yeah. <laughs> it's well, well, just, just um, a couple, couple things about that is like I think just in regards to mental health, I don't. I think everyone in this society that we live in right now is struggling on some level with mental health. I just don't think that the human brain and human psyche is adapted to live in the world that we've created for ourselves. You know, yeah. and it's Agreed. just and spiraling even more. The more detached we get and the more reliant on these like, uh, you know, mm -hmm. social media platforms and all these other things, I think it just creates more yeah. and more of a psychosis, a mass psychosis that everyone. And that's why there's that's why there's so much conflict, I think, right now. Absolutely. And I think, you know, what was really unexpected for me was that because it's because my lyrics are about, you know, anxiety and depression around like around um, the 
you know, sort of the event of motherhood and becoming a, a, a parent, I really didn't, you know, I thought people could, you know, it might resonate with some people. They, it, it might, you know, be important for them to see, oh, that's where, that's where this is coming from. But I didn't expect so many people to reach out and say that, you know, that, you know, their life is very different from me, but to say that, you know, this resonated with them, that they know how that feels, that they felt that way, that they currently feel that way. You know, it's like, I, I just didn't expect it to, to um, resonate in that way with, with so many people. And, you know, and, and it's like very validating that that was, it was the right decision, you know, to, to publish that essay, you know, and it was the right decision to publish the lyrics. And it was, you know, and it was, it was scary to like write songs using that as the subject matter. I could have, we could have easily avoided it, you know, <laughs> um, and there's plenty of terrifying things, you know, in the world with the environment and <laughs> yeah. Um, the political landscape to write horror lyrics, you know, all day long about, but, um, you know, I, you know, kind of chose to go, you know, go N word. And I think that it's very validating. I mean, I don't know if it makes me feel great, like to know that that many people are struggling. I mean, I hope, um, you know, I'm like, I've, I've been much more proactive, um, since COVID about my mental health, like seeking therapy, seeking, you know, um, uh, like, you know, I do meditation practice, yoga, like, uh, you know, acupuncture, sure, <laughs> I talk yeah. to a counselor, you know, I do all of those things. Um, but again, that brings me back around to like, I have the means to, to do that because, you know, um, and it makes me more, even more concerned for how many people don't have access to those opportunities to care for their mental, emotional well-being. you know? Um, but I mean, that's a whole, that's a whole. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's like, another, uh, uh, another yeah. problem that needs to be fixed. Yeah. Know, for yeah. sure. You know, but ironically art and music and writing and, and all these media, um, does not get the, uh, respect it, it deserves in this country. Uh, and in a lot of ways, those outlets are things that help people very profoundly. Uh, yeah. But you know, it's it's oftentimes thought of as like this kind of throwaway. Oh yeah, all right, it's just it's free on the internet and this and that. And I find that sad and very troubling, you know, because yeah, um, especially it, with music, I think you know, yeah, like it's just there. It's like you know, I, I think I was talking with someone yesterday actually about like Spotify and and stuff, and it's just like like I was like, yeah, like someone played a Locrian song like two thousand times in one quarter and i got like 11 cents <laughs> you know? yeah totally it's like, man. it's like brutal like you know like and then like uh you know i i think about it it's just like like spotify and like amazon music and all these digital streaming services is kind of set up like it's like a new like 
you know, it's almost like a, a different form of like Napster or something like that, where it's just like everything's available at all the time. And, um, and then what the artist receives and their worth is, is not as value is not as valued as, you know, like a, a corporation, you know, and their, and their, you know, public, you know, face or whatever. Um, and it's weird. Cause it's like, I feel like people do value music and like, think about, you know, people want want it obviously but it's like what they how they invest in it is so detached um from its actual value and production you know like like uh it's just so strange to me you know like um it also feeds into just an existing problem i think with um even with ticket prices it shows you know it's like oh yeah i got you know people complain oh it's 20 dollars to see you play and I'm like, you're getting. This isn't this isn't a Fugazi concert in 1995, dude. <laughs> like... But then, like, I would look and I would see like comedians go on tour, and they would have like eighty dollar tickets. Yeah. To see yeah. like one dude up on stage with no with nothing, you know. And I, I mean, yeah. I'm not the biggest comedy fan at all. I've only been to like maybe two. I'm not. I'm not really not into comedy. Let's put it this way. Yeah. I I, mean... I um I like Lenny Bruce because he's more like this kind of spoken word like introspective guy like bill hicks like yeah. that kind of stuff yeah I like the, the, yeah. i'm like you're gonna these guys will charge you 80 to 100 dollars for like I, one person and maybe like an opener and maybe a local guy and people I gladly think, fill up these arenas to see these people yet you're gonna have a band with four four bands a production and you're yeah, complaining yeah. about a 20 dollar ticket and then you're gonna well, spend like 60 dollars at the bar how much yeah. do you spend going to a movie? You know what I'm saying? It's like, like you know, you're easily going to spend like 12 to $18, depending on where you're going to see the movie and what time. Like, and then you're food, probably then- going to get food. You're probably going to have to pay for parking, depending yeah. on where you live. At least where we live, you have to pay for parking. Um, you know, it's like, and that and nobody question I feel like nobody really questions that you know but yeah I know it's so like just music is just so feels like it's just so consumable and like easy to you know take for granted and take advantage of I mean you know I it's depressing looking at um (laughs) look at like logging on to you know uh see like how many plays and like what that what that ends up um like coming up to as far as like what what we would make and I I mean I guess like my solution for myself and again I recognize my privilege in being able to say this is I'm just going to choose to stop worrying about that so much you know and I'm just gonna write but you know I I recognize that most musicians don't have that opportunity to say I'm not gonna worry about it because you know it's their livelihood for me as long as I have a full-time job it's it's you know I I have the opportunity to say that but like but it doesn't make it right it doesn't it still pisses me off to like you know to be like like how I mean, and like when you know, but you know, like we're also in like a weird cycle too, where it's like 
you know, you have a press cycle. So as records come out, you have a certain window um, where after a few weeks, no one will write about it or review it or do interview. You know, it's like you have this really weird system in place where the attention span mm-hmm. is very short. Right. So, a, you know, like, and it happens all the time. Like, you know, I'm sure we could all name records that, like, you slept on, you never got around to, and you finally put it on. You're like, why did nobody tell me this record was brilliant a year ago? And, you know, like, and then, yeah. you know, because you were focused on something else or whatever. I mean, it just, you know, it just happens. It's human nature. Like, our tent, we can only take in so much content or, or something turns us off about a record and finally we hear it and we're like, oh, man, that thing's, like, phenomenal. Um, I, and I think it's like we have this very short attention span. We have a really small, like, you got, and I think about it now, like, from, you know, early 2000s to now, there's so many fewer outlets to even write about or can, or introduce you to new music. Um, yeah. It, where it's, and there's less writers. And, you know, like, if you have friends who are music writers, you know that they're in such a pinch anyway like they're not getting paid very much they're they have a limited amount of content that they can even uh release if they're you know like uh if they write for a magazine or for a website or whatever oh yeah trust, trust <laughs> so, me man because i i used to do a little bit of music writing and i gave it up because it's like it was just there was no return on it like um and then you know, I was trying to do that stuff for a while for a few years and and like I was fairly successful at it but also the amount of effort per return was just not worth doing it anymore. And yeah. I just and gave up on it. I think sometimes, too, you're in danger when you start writing about music. You're in da- As a musician, you're in danger of people not taking you as seriously as a musician. You know, it's yeah. like people don't, like, pe- you know, it's like they have a hard time seeing you as, a complex individual who does more than one thing, you know what I mean? And um, I think that that's, that's problematic too. And I don't, I mean, speaking of live shows before COVID, I think like there were, I really didn't there. I mean, it was almost like there were no live reviews, like (laughs) to like happening anymore. It's like you started to question if, um, if uh, music writers were even coming out to shows, you know, or if it was just like, okay, if something, if music happened to land in their lap, that's, that's what they wrote about. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, like, effort, yeah. but like the, the politics involved and the red tape involved and like, you know, um, like getting your music in front of music writers is like really daunting. And, yeah. you know, again, like, it makes me wonder, it makes me wonder like what, what we don't know, what we'll never hear, what, what amazing music we might not know about because of the obstacle of the obstacles that keep us, you know, keep us from knowing about it, you know? And, and I just think that, I mean, it's really problematic with um, music reviews and with writing about music. It's like, you know, are you writing about this because, you know, it landed in your lap? Did you seek it out? Like, it, you know, I always question that with, with, um, I don't know, I, as a teacher, I have to, 
as a teacher, it's something I have to think about all the time with my students is like, you know, what are the factors that went into the student being successful on this task or this assessment? Like, what were the factors that caused them to not like, you know, uh, not master this skill? You know, it's like you have to like, you can't just take it at face value. Like what, you know, how did this music land in the lap of this music writer? You know, yeah. was it because their, their record label like has, you know, good PR. Or... Yeah. 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 Most likely well, that's it actually. Yeah. Yeah. It's like yeah. they have money to pay a, you know, a, a promoter. And but I think that's like maybe what makes Bandcamp so interesting is because there are writers there who will feature a band that you've never heard of that has no backing They're from like the other side of the planet. And now you're listening to it. You know, and I, and I think that is a neat venue for writers that I'm always kind of interested in where I think that they tend to have a little more balance between like, you know, of course they're not right. Of course there's going to be a feature on the, you know, this band releasing this record this week, but then right next to it is an article of a band that you've would never have heard of. If someone there didn't have some, didn't really focus on that band or that scene. And I like that Bandcamp does that because i've actually found bands that way just because like yeah mark masters wrote up a, a weird experimental tape in his experimental column and or they focus on um a tape label out of africa and you're like well that okay and you listen to it and you're like you found something awesome you know and i love that about that like where i feel that they have the bandwidth to have writers who can be passionate and um you know, focus on someone who doesn't have a big like label and press release, you know, behind them. Um, I, I think that that's maybe the, the one exception where I'm like, you know, and I, and I know that I benefited from it too. Like they featured Axe Breaker. They've, you know, they've written up Locrian. Like they've always, you know, like they've always like kind of, you know, stuff that, you know, maybe wouldn't like, be in the mainstream like you know as they you know I've, I've had featured there and i know a lot of our friends have you know like bands that you know were small projects or side projects or really difficult sounding you know like experimental stuff um has gotten featured there and it's it, i think that maybe that's one exception um and you know i don't know how far that goes you know because it's so much music and yeah. you know like but but i feel that that I do appreciate it. And I know, and I'll find myself like I'll be going there to read an article about a band or you know, I'll, I'll always kind of go through a few, every few weeks I'll go through and be like, what did I miss? You know, and I'll kind of like look at different articles and find different musicians, different bands. But you're a different type of music consumer than the most. Yeah. You is know. my yeah. point. <laughs> yeah. Is my point. That's you know, fair. like most people don't work that hard um, to find out about, new music like yeah. so I mean and not to like disparage like music writers there are some amazing music writers out there that are doing the hard work of like you know seeking out like new and interesting things or maybe something that they didn't know about before but I just think like you know it's it's um it's a problem with like the general public sure. how like how we um, 
how we have access to music, how we know about new music. I mean, it's like, it's, you know, um, it all comes back to, you know, having the capital to, to, to put yourself out there, you know? Yeah. Actually, uh, Bandcamp, because uh, I've written for them before, they, they actually pay pretty well compared to other outlets, believe it or not, for writing. Yeah, I did. I did a horror soundtrack column for them. Yeah, and uh, they 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 compensated very well and were really. I remember I had a great editing experience too. And you know, he was a freelancer, but it was like a cool idea that they took. It was my idea. I pitched it, and they and they took it. And I got to focus on some of the horror soundtracks that are actually on Bandcamp, which they're not that many. <laughs> like. Uh, that are available is more now than there were then. Like it was actually pretty hard to write because a lot of ones, you know, like the licensing of har- of horror soundtracks is very, um, you know, tight. So they're not, you know, like the people in charge don't want to release horror soundtracks onto digital because of those uh, licensing payments they get for the physical media with like death waltz and yeah no it's understandable uh, yeah and wax work and i get it you know but it you know when i run my radio show it's just like man i gotta go and digitize this lp now and you know like it's you know you want good quality and you know you're trying to find stuff but it's a little bit better now you know wax work just did a just started their Bandcamp page um and and that's exciting to me because it's like i can find some stuff and if i have to digitize it, even though i like the physical vinyl release, but when you're doing a radio show, it's like, that's not going to help me at all. Like, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. And also when you travel too, you know, it's, I mean, Bandcamp has that handy app where you can stream stuff. Mm-hmm. Like when you go yeah. out, travel and do that kind of stuff. I, I enjoy that for sure. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Before we get too far away from ticket prices, uh, I want to do a preemptive <laughs> strike out there to some of the trolls who are probably going to like bellyache that, um, Oh, you know, Mike's talking about money again and, you know, how <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's uh, people complain about paying or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, if you got a problem with what I said about my problem with people complaining about paying $20 to go see Tombs play somewhere, I will yeah. take you on tour with us. You can sit yeah. next to me in the van. You, you can, can sleep yeah. in bed with me at the Motel <laughs> 6 and the Red Roof Inn. You can sleep right next to me. I mean, I was going to say, like, you can, that allows you to afford the red roof. And, like, yeah. we, we just, like, beg friends. And, like, and if it's a city that we're like, hi, we met one time yeah. 10 years ago. Can we sleep, can on, we your sleep on your floor? Yeah. I'll, I'll take you to towns you didn't even know that existed. Yeah, to see people you that you eat. thought you would never want to meet in your life. You could eat the Taco Bell next to me. And argue with this guy yeah. about some random seven inch I put out twenty years ago. <laughs> totally, so, you know, it'll be awesome. <laughs> and, I, and I think that, for, and you can do that for thirty days with me every day. Yeah. You can see my face every single day for thirty days of your life, and then you can tell me that twenty dollars is too much. Twenty dollars is too much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I I agree with you. I think, and I think about it too as like you know, music consumers like. You know, I think with COVID, a lot of it is like I've realized like I I didn't go to certain shows, and I'm like, man, I'm I'm so mad I didn't go to that show, and, and it definitely made me reassess like how much I would pay or how much time 
should I give? And I know that as shows have been coming back, we're much more eager to like pull the trigger on a ticket. Yeah. Like, you know, like we're much more like we're going, like we're going to that show. Like, you know, like we're already putting it in the calendar. Um, you know, if it happens or not, that's another story. But, um, but yeah, I think people don't, I mean, like for us, like when we play a show, we have to hire a babysitter. We have two kids. Yeah. Like, you know? it's, it's expenses. <laughs> it's like it's like it costs us like there are most shows for holy circle cost us money like we don't yeah. we, we make no, you know not enough to even compensate like for what we spend on the babysitter you know for the yeah, kids babe, you know babe. like i mean i i playing shows is not like complaining. <laughs> playing shows is like one of my most favorite things to do i mean it's like like my attitude and my outlook about life is like so much better when I'm like regularly playing live shows. Like it's like, even with all the logistics and the like money and all that stuff. And like, you know, it, all of that aside, like I like thrive on live performance because I think it's such an important aspect of like, like, who I am as a musician, but also like how I write songs, you know, like I, like we've rewritten entire songs because of the way that we like improvise the song live. Yeah, like, sure. yeah. I mean, like their entire like songs, there are songs that we've written and recorded in the past for Holy Circle that completely, completely changed because of playing them live there, you know there, there so are I, songs we played live that we decided weren't good and stopped playing entirely never recorded you know just because we're like yeah it's not working like you know like, i just think it's so yeah. important it's such an important part of and i and i get there are lots of musicians who never play play live and never tour and and that and that's you know and that's fine too like i'm not like saying that there's anything wrong with that just for me like it's so it's such an important part of like of the songwriting process for me and just like the experience of performing live like you know like kind of like getting lost in the music or that feeling when you're like you're you're like connecting with like the audience and like it's a really good show and it's like that feeling of like you know, like elation, really, like that you, yeah. that everything, you're striking all these, like, chords, not to, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's also part of just the uh, age-old human experience, like playing, going, going to the, the reason why things like live performances exist is because it's part of our experience as hominids, you know, I mean, we have yeah. like this atavistic sort of yeah. requirement to do things in social groups or communal efforts like that. And I think that that tradition yeah. has been ritualized and turned into what we experience in the modern world as live performance. Yeah. And I, um, and I, I think like, you know, as somebody who grew up in a Southern Baptist, uh, very conservative, family, you know, w went to church, like every time the doors were open as a kid growing up, it's like, you know, those were, those were the moments when I felt like, you know, 
connected were, you know, when we were, everyone was singing and, you know, or like I was on stage singing and, you know, it's, it's, um, like, there's just something about like, like sharing like music with other human beings in the same space, you know, and like, like having like this, you know, I mean, to me, it's like, it's like a, you know, it's like you're on a different, like, emotional plane, you know, when, like, and I mean, like, I've played, we've played horrible shows, like, we've played <laughs> shows where, like, I was, like, uh, like, from, like, the first, like, chord, I was, like, oh, this is not, this is not, this is off, you know, like, yeah. this isn't gonna go, and you, and you learn something from that, too, you know, and I, um, I just, it's so, I mean, it's just, like, so important to me. Like, I, it's scare. it really does scare me, like, what's happening um, because of COVID, like, with venues having difficulty, like, you know, staying open, um, like, people, like, I, you know, fear for people coming together and getting sick and then not, you know, not wanting to go see live music, being afraid to go see live music. I mean, you know, and like the state, obviously the safety of everybody is like really important, but it's like also really scary to think that, you know, this could cause a lot of that to go away or to limit opportunities for musicians to play live. I mean, you know, um, yeah, it's, it's a lot to think about and there's really no, like you, I go over it in my head all the time, but then again, I just kind of like, well, it's going to be what it is. You know, it's going to happen one way or the other and whatever yeah. form it takes is to be seen. It remains to be seen, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just get vaccinated and uh, wear masks and we'll all look like Slipknot or something. We can <laughs> Slipknot. Be, creative, be creative with our masks. We can all wear masks. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, actually in New York, uh, it's required for access to restaurants, gyms, and music venues, or any type yeah. of public, you know, gathering place that you have a vaccination uh, card, yeah. you know. We're 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 shifting to not, that not in the yeah. Baltimore area. Baltimore City has started to yeah, they're saying um, mask back on. Yeah, require that. I mean, I don't. Uh, there's some venues that are requiring that you show proof of vaccination, but not. I don't think it's become a city, a city-wide. but it probably will. I mean, I think it's probably the most sure way that they're going to be able to kind of get things back. And, you know, and you're already seeing the numbers. As more people are mandating the vaccine, you're seeing the vaccination numbers go up. And that's really good. And, you know, I mean, but, you know, it's like we're also in states where it isn't as dire as, like, Florida or Texas or Mississippi or places like that, you know, or just, like, yeah. you know, where it's made sense, you know. I just think those states are just going to just – it's going to be this inferno of disease <laughs> until, until oh, it, like – That's a song title, Mike. Yeah, you inferno of – that's going to be our next album title. But, um, <laughs> but, yeah, I just think that it's like – those states are just going to become this inferno until everyone has it and or they've reached that 70% herd immunity or whatever. But, you know, that, that is a very uh, direct, you know, sort of, um, 
I don't, I don't know what the, Darwinism. Yeah, it's just it. like this very Darwinist way of of uh, of of reaching that endpoint. You know, instead of maybe saving a few thousand lives. You know. Yeah, it doesn't make any. It's just, you know, I, I mean, you know, it's the the politics of it are just kind of weird. You know, it's like we're gonna let people die because we don't want to make them wear a mask. It's like, hey, it sucks to wear a mask. It well, really does. Well, there like, should be no politics. Wear a mask. I mean, like you know, that sucks. Like I hate wearing a mask at the gym, but yeah, I did it. I I do it. I don't mind it. In the end, it's hard to do cardio. It's hard to do most things, but you know, is it keep me safe and other people safe? And when I get home, I have one kid who can't get vaccinated, keeps them safe. Fine, I'll wear it. It's okay. Well, well, there shouldn't be any politics because it's a public health uh, crisis. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and uh, but that's the thing that kills me. It's like, okay, everyone's against wearing masks. They don't want a social distance. They don't want lockdowns. So the only thing left is what we have right now is to get vaccinated, right? Yeah. That's really, literally the last resort to this whole thing. You can't have it all the ways. Yeah. You can't yeah. have it all the ways. Yeah. You can't have. <laughs> You can't have all of it. Like, you can't, like... Like, listen, Snowflake, your parents lied to you. You don't can't have everything. a normal... You can't have, like, things back to quote-unquote normal and not participate in any of the safety measures to keep yourself and those around you safe. And it's like, I just think we're... Like, as a society, we have such a sense of entitlement that, like... Yeah. You know, like everyone owes us something and like everything is infringing on like our, you know, our rights and like our, you know, it's like no, like such a lack of empathy for, you know, how my actions impact others. And especially, I mean, you know, I, I'm from Florida, you know, it's like, okay. I just like, like, I I can't even, like, I can barely go on, like, social media at this point and, like, see what, like, friends and family are, like, posting. And, like, you know, some of them are, like, like, I, we have friends in, back in Florida who are medical workers, family who are medical workers, and they're, like, begging their friends and family to get vaccinated, begging yeah. them to, like, you know, might... re rethink their like social life and like, like, like not engage in like, you know, going places where there's large crowds. And it's just like, why, like, why do we have to say this to people? I mean, it's yeah. like my brother-in-law is a nurse in on the East coast of Florida. And he just, um, like a 30 year old healthy person just died yeah. in his hospital from COVID. And, exactly. it, and it's like, and he just, they're turning their cafeteria into a, a new COVID ward. Like, it's not over. It is. And he, and I just can't even imagine, like, for him, his mental health after dealing with, I mean, like, I know he's, you know, like, if you talk to, like, EMTs or if you talk to other medical, there's a little bit of, like, a gallows humor sometimes, like, a lot of stuff, you know, especially, like, ER nurses and stuff have seen a lot. But it, in the end, there's still, like, professionals who are people who have, their own you know like ptsd of things that they've been going through um and just to like you know for him to look at this landscape and and you know where he's like 
you know, this is a person who should have led a really healthy life and lived, you know, 40, 50 more years. And it's like, he's intubating him and now he's gone. It's like, that's just like, it's just crazy, you know, like, yeah. and, and that we can't have this moment where like, yeah, let's, let's take care of it. Like, I know there are people who maybe can't get vaccinated because they're immunocompromised. Um, it's not ready yet. I know they're still working on it, so I get it. But like, you know, but those are the people that are like the most responsible mask wearers and social distancer, you know, it's like they're doing all the other stuff that they can do. It's like, and we owe them some kind of safety too. It's yeah. Yeah. And, and like the fact that people are using this as some kind of like liberty, you know, like freedom no. thing. It's like it's like they're like Patrick Henry or something, you know. It's like, <laughs> you know, this is like give me liberty or give me death, you know. Uh, yeah, well, you know, you're gonna get death. Yeah, like that, it's it's just not happen. it's not the hill to die on. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, yeah, and the I conspiracy theories and how oh well, you know, fake news, all this bullshit. I'm like, and, the mask on. Yeah. Shut up. Well, all the other thing too, it's like all these people who are talking about, you know, health and freedom of choice with their bodies. I'm like, have they ever, they're the first ones, in my opinion. I like to know what the statistic is. Probably the first ones to tell women they can't have abortions. Oh, you know? yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like uh, anyone, uh, like, uh, you know, just thinking about it really quickly, like everyone everyone that I've seen be very vocal, like friends from growing up, family, um, who are like, you know, posting these asinine things about like, you know, we should be concerned about like having to carry a card to prove anything and like tell me to wear a mask and like that's it's my body or whatever. Yeah. They're the same they're the same ones that are like, you know, abortion is murder like you know like like yeah like um you know but it's like they don't have a problem with the government telling me as a woman like what i can and can't do with my reproductive you know like rights but like you know like you can't tell them to wear a mask or show proof of vaccination and go to like Lollapalooza are you kidding me like you know <laughs> like what a like spoiled brat you are what a like worthless yeah, <laughs> like there we you're, go. you're just sucking up all the good air in the room like get out of here you know what I'm saying like like it's just it's mind-boggling like they're the same ones that are just like in denial that we have like immigrant children in, you know, camps, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. they're the same ones. They're the same ones. Yeah. Like, it's just amazing to me. Like, and, and this is more of like a personal thing where it's like, I, you know, I, I, I try not to go on these like YouTube rabbit holes or anything about all this stuff, but you uh -huh. know, every now and then, like I'll, I'll watch something and I'll see like some pre-diabetic, uh, overweight mid mid American person railing about their health and they don't want to take the vaccine. And I'm yeah. like, clearly <laughs> you don't care about your health. Otherwise you wouldn't be in this situation, you know, yeah. filling your body with trans fats and yeah. fucking high fructose <laughs> corn syrup. And those are the things that are going to kill you before this vaccine killed you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, 
So as a PSA, everyone's listening. <laughs> Everyone, we would really prefer right you. <laughs> They've already they're gone. Those they're, people are gone. We prefer that you get you vaccinated. <laughs> we love to see you at a concert that you can pay more than five dollars for. Yeah. 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 I mean, my my, my actual message is do whatever you want, but just be aware that you have to pay some kind of consequence for yeah. your intention. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right, for sure. For you know, sure. That, that's just more of like a, I guess, a, a Luciferian sort of, uh, you know, <laughs> like, like take on the whole thing. You know, do what you're gonna do, but uh, you might die. Yeah, exactly. You know. <laughs> yeah, consequence to everything, yeah. and unfortunately, yeah. you that what you chose is also a consequence to the others around you yeah. who might not have a say in what you do. Yeah. Actually, you said something earlier that I was I thought was interesting about um, like taking horror music horror seriously. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and I think there are definitely parallels between taking horror like horror films and literature and extreme music that maybe um, earlier on in the in the the history of those those uh, genres, you know, there was a little bit of. Um, a lack of seriousness, quote unquote, for lack of a better term. But in the last 30, 40 years, I think that uh, both of those genres, and we can talk specifically about horror, have yeah. very much dealt with some very serious uh, topics. I mean, you're the essay that you wrote, Erica, I think um, as I was reading, I was like, man, this would be like uh, like an A24 style film, maybe. <laughs> yeah, <you know>? yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, I, yeah. I, uh, I think like, you know, um, I, I, like I have a degree in theater yeah. and I remember, <laughs> I remember when I was in high school, I went to performing arts high school in Florida and, um, I played Miss Adelaide in Guys and Dolls. Mm -hmm. And I remember and this was like one of the, you know how like you like kind of like as you get older, you kind of like start to realize that there were like these kind of like, like monumental moments where like a conversation or a realization and you're like, oh, that's really informed me as like the person that I've become, you know, and I, I remember a friend of mine saying like I, you know, um, I, they said to me, like, you know, what I like about your performance is, like, even though this is musical theater, when Adelaide is sad, she's really sad. And, you know, and um, and I was like, I was like, thank you. And you're you're right. I really was trying to make her like a human being, even though she's like a musical theater character, you know, and. And I think that that kind of like always stuck with me. Like, you know, even if like your subject matter is fiction, even if it's, you know, you know, absurd or fantastical, whatever it is, like character work, you know, vocal work, whatever, like, you know, um, that like, you know, like the human experience, like, you know, yeah. like of like, sad like real sadness or real elation or you know what I mean it's like like I so I guess like I use I've always sort of like use like you know my method acting background to like 
find a way to connect to my topic even when it's you know but, but I think not like, something that's like true you know and i think like the that my favorite horror films are the ones that are about about you know like your psychosis and like your you know um they're psychological and you know or about like commentary on like social commentary you know like um i think that those are my favorite horror films because it's like even though it's horror and there's like these fantastical elements that occur typically it's like they're grounded in some truth you know yeah yeah i think that for me like with this project i had like a few films in mind like when i was trying to create some cues for you um and like there are i mean and like you're saying like i think that i mean i'm always i've always been drawn like you know i think when i was younger in like the 80s in the video store rental you're trying to just get the goriest you know movie you know home and and hope your parents don't find it right but then you find i think like then you maybe get confronted with something that's like like i remember when i was young the texas chainsaw massacre was just kind of blown up it was so gory it was all out of control i finally saw it and i was like terrified and it wasn't that gory you know yeah it was and just I the remember, atmosphere I, that really was very very creepy exactly and i felt like you know it was raw in a way like like it was very it felt very real it felt very raw um and that's a soundtrack cue that i played a lot with on mother of size was how um uh toby hooper uh and i think his name's wayne bell would make made their soundtrack um with things around their um editing suite uh you know they would drag a pitchfork across the table or use bones and ice to make the kind of sound cues that stuck i mean to this day like i'm i always think it's it's this great soundtrack um but as we were doing this project um you know i i thought of those the other films that were a little more serious like one of my favorite horror films is, is Repulsion. Yeah. Uh, and, and that was like, in my head, just that kind of claustrophobia that, you know, and I, I kept kind of thinking of Repulsion a lot with COVID, like that the home becomes this like, like, like pressure cooker of all your anxieties. I mean, you know, obviously there's, you know, a lot to be read into that film, but, um, and Catherine Deneuve and about, you know, being a woman and repression and all this stuff. It's like this really interesting film from a really messed up director. But, um, you know, I think that uh, that was one of my cues. Um, and another one was like a, a really early one that I think was one that could feel really schlocky. Like, I think that's what you're trying to say, right? Is it like, there's that horror that's kind of like, you know, kind of like a joke, like a tongue in cheek, you know, and I've, I've never really related to that. Like I've always, you know, it's like, it's like, uh, my friends, we, we always would divide like return of the living dead versus like the night, the, the Romero trilogy or something where it's like, it's really funny. And I always was like, Oh, it's, that's not my thing. You know, I liked it where it was a little bit more serious. And, um, another one was like carnival of souls was oh, yeah. that that was a big influence. Um, uh, and, you know, I wanted to try and make, something similar because i love that soundtrack it's one of it's again one of my favorites and i love that movie um 
and I, I think just the story behind it and you know it's a lot like it's very serious it's uh really interesting um and really beautiful and kind of surreal you know um so you know those are like the things i kind of tend to those are some of my inspirations i mean obviously there's a lot of like carpenterisms throughout it like the like i would have a little bit of a drum machine and then you know it was like well it's good enough for assault on precinct 13 so i'm just gonna keep it really minimal you know like um and uh you know and some of the synth stuff but um but yeah i think we're in an era where yeah like the a24 like the witch or hereditary um you know you have these or Erica, we and I, we were we were talking about the killing of a sacred deer. Like that's just such a weird, strange horror film. If it is a horror film, it's like I yeah. Know. I think it is. Yeah. <laughs> Disturbing at least. Yeah. The hereditary is really scary. Um, the witch. The witch, I think, really resonates with me because it's because. Um, one, I mean, like, I have a fear going back to childhood of, like, of, like, this sort of, like, primal, like, witch, like, that I was convinced lived in my, in my closet. Um, and, but I like the witch because it's, like, what, what's really, you know, sort of, like, believed to be evil is, like, her like her sexuality it's like this young woman in puberty and she's like her you know she's blossoming as like a a sexual like being and they're like because they're like you know these puritans who are very conservative and like you know and i think it's like that really resonates with me, like being somebody who grew up in like a very conservative environment, you know, that was like very limiting. And um, I just really, that movie is just really, and it's so scary. I love that movie. Like hereditary is like, that's, that movie is terrifying. Like, like, so scary. So good. Um, Yeah. Or even like the new Suspiria, we were, that was what we wrote. That was a good, that was, I mean, yeah, the whole Suspiria, I mean, that's where our band name came from. That's a good from. soundtrack. <laughs> the band name came from, but it's like, I go back and forth. Like, I love the original Suspiria, but I really liked the the new Suspiria. I, 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 I thought yeah. it was interesting, you know, um, and, and it's a tough, tough thing to remake, you know, like, you know, what's Suspiria even about? It's about a ballet school for witches. Like, what the <laughs> heck? <laughs> what? How is this scary? <laughs> like, yeah, I, mean, I think there's definitely room to like both of those films for sure. You know. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And, uh, the witch is complicated for me because I have um, I have a couple of different ideas about that, and uh, you know, yes, I agree that there's uh, um, there is like a, an empowerment element to it, but there's also it's told through the lens of of um. I guess like a Christian male point of view mm-hmm. where witchcraft really wasn't about Satan and uh, yet the movie connects it to this more, I mean, there's like the left-hand path and then there's Satanism and they're two different things. Yeah. 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 And uh, they don't really differentiate that. And if you read anything about, or if you know the stories of what went on in New England, um, 
you know the the, the women who were who were were hanged uh, yeah. were not practicing any kind of like satanic witchcraft. And uh, I kind of wish the film. That's where the film kind of lost me a little bit. I wish that I if it had been written where the actual witchcraft was was witchcraft, not some trumped up, yeah. you know, puritanical like version of it where they worship Satan and there's like a goat, a goat, and all this stuff. <laughs> or if the goat had actually been utilized as not necessarily a satanic set piece, but as uh, kind of like a stubbornness or a resistance yeah. character, then I probably would have been more, I would have enjoyed the film a lot more, you know? Yeah. I see your point. I, um, I, I think it's, yeah, I, I, I would like to, I would like to see how this story would be different from her perspective. Um, yeah. and you know, I think like soundtrack wise, um, Mark Corbin, that's like yeah. um, there he's using. I think he used like um he used like a dulcimer and some kind of like he, he used period like instruments. Made these I made these drones. I think one was like a hurdy gurdy and yeah, there's like another pretty. another. Ins- I can't remember what they're all called, but there's really cool articles about the these period instruments that he used in the soundtrack that. I mean, I, I, I have it on vinyl. Like, it's a great soundtrack. It's, like, you know, pretty amazing. Separate from the movie, you know. And, um, yeah, like, he definitely pulled together some really cool elements, like, with all these organic kind of string drones and instruments and stuff. It's it's really neat. Yeah. Yeah, the soundtrack was amazing, man. I mean, I mean, the movie is amazing. Like, I'm not. That's just my own personal yeah, yeah, take no, on no, it. You know, and it's like it's yeah. a great film. I really enjoyed it. I I agree. Like, if I have more of an objective like point of view on it, I really really liked it. You know, but yeah. I I just yeah. I'm tired of seeing like witchcraft portrayed that way. You know what I mean? I would yeah. rather see it like someone actually do some research and dig dig deep into it and. Yeah. I even think that's the story of that is even more interesting than if you, you know, connected it to the elemental, you know, forces as opposed to yeah. some kind of Judeo-Christian idea about evil and good and all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah, I think and it's it's probably about do I mean I think like you see you know and I think you know part of what you're saying is also like we especially in, you know, in, in America, we tend to have this very limited view kind of shaped by media of what, you know, like, like Satanism, witchcraft and paganism, all that kind of lumped together in some ways because of this Judeo-Christian, like, valuation of, of, of them, right, and judgment right. upon them. And it's like when you, you know, study any of them, you realize the complexities and the histories within you know, what was considered witchcraft, but was a pagan uh, practice. Uh, like you're even saying like the hair splitting of Satanism, that it's not as um, black and white as, you know, like there are different elements uh, and practices um, that evolve in certain ways. Uh, so, it, it, and, and that there are interesting stories. And I think you see some of that maybe around like, you know, like, um, the, the Viking shows and paganism or whatever, right? Like there's a little bit more of like uh, consideration that's going into that 
um, you know, where, where it isn't as, you know, through that lens, but those are European shows that are a little more invested in kind of like giving some nuance. And it does make the story more interesting because if you're not exposed to that and don't understand it, it does kind of open your eyes a little bit that things were a little bit more complex and that there's a little bit more value there than perhaps you've been exposed to or told or whatever. Um, but yeah, I think I agree. Like, I think there could be more there if, if people would invest in it or, or even, you know, with specifically new England and witchcraft and, and, uh, you know, you know, it, and doing more with that, you know, I think, I think you're right. But yeah, there's, there's been a couple of movies out there <clears throat> that, <clears throat> that have been like skirting around it and, and really, um, you know, touching on i'm talking about like that uh there's there's like was it from the earth or something like that that movie yeah, that just I, came out recently um yeah. you know gaia which is a little bit more of like a monster movie but you know yeah but it's um like there there's like there people are, are touching they're flirting with the idea of like an like older older ideologies that predate yeah. christianity and that <clears throat> religion in general might be just an explanation or an attempt to explain some right. kind of phenomenon we're, we're, that that someone experienced that, and they you know connected gods and demons and angels and devils and all that sort of stuff to those sure. types of things, and I find that really interesting. And I I'm waiting for someone to really jump into that. Yeah, I, I always I mean like I went I I, I don't know if you know this, Mike. I went to college and studied religion. That was like my major. I do know, I do know that we we actually <laughs> spoke about spoke about yeah that. yeah we have and, and like that was like the thing that I'm like. Like this is like humanities. Like it's like this creative situation, you know, that like you've interpreted the world as you see it through this belief system and this value system and generated this, you know, very complex system. Um and I mean it's like and every system is really complex, whether it's, you know, like um I think like you know, every religious valuation system is complex and, and determines people's other worldviews and and your rejection of it, too. It's like, you 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 know, when you are rejecting something, whether you're agnostic or an atheist or whatever, it's like you're also kind of like finding that way. To, and because because that system doesn't determine doesn't um, define the world that you're living in and that conflict is like way too much, you know, when the system you were brought up in and the system that you've experienced don't mesh anymore. It's, it's a, it's an element of existential conflict. So I think it's like rife for great horror movies. (laughs) I mean, we're afraid of what we can't explain away, you know, um, we, I think those are the scariest things that, you know, um, her and like you know we don't know how to explain it so we either define it like within the parameters you know that we've set up for ourselves or we you know or we deny it or you know I think like like um you know growing up I was always like really intuitive you know um like I, you know, especially like when it came to like sound and music, like I would, um, you know, in my head, uh, 
think of a song or think of a musician and then, you know, mom would start humming the song, you know, or mm -hmm. vice versa. Like I would walk through a room singing and somebody in my family will go, Hey, I was just thinking about that. And it happens all the time now with the kids, like, you know, especially my, our son, he, uh, he'll like, you know, start singing something. And I was just thinking about the song or like, you know, um, I, I, um, you know, I have that happen pretty frequently where I'll like walk into the store and I was just like thinking about a song and it's on the, you know, like on the sound system in the store or whatever, like, um, you know, uh, my mom would always like when I would, the few times I tried to like explain that to her, you know, she would, she would always dismiss it, you know, like, it's just like, you know, it's, you know, it's just a, a song that we both like or whatever, you know, but that was never like a good enough explanation for me. You know, I knew there, to me, there was more to it than that, you know, um, uh, or when like you think about somebody and then they, they call, you know, they call you or they text you or something like it wasn't, that's not a good enough explanation for me, you know, but I mean, my parents have very rigid parameters that they, I mean, like, ironically, like they believe in the father, son, and the Holy ghost, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, they're, they like believe in some pretty supernatural things themselves, you know? But uh, that didn't jive with like. But they're the same person. They're the same person. <laughs> they're the same person. But they said they're three different. But they're the same person. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah. All right. <laughs> it seems really unnecessary. It's okay to have three. It's fine. Three is fine. It's, it's monotheism. So we have to make it one. But how can the God have a son who's the God? that had the son who then left the spirit who's also a god <laughs> sorry sounds like some shenanigans man it sounds like some guy decided that i don't like this uh story i'm gonna make it the story i want just so i can control yeah. people a little bit more you know it's really clunky it's act if you go to the doctrine of the trinity it's a super clunky theology that really doesn't make much sense and it's, it's like a lot of um, the church figures in er, early Christianity who are just trying to, like, make it come together in some way. And it's not consistent, um, you know, at all. Like, you have writers who have no idea in of the biblical writers and the New Testament and stuff have no idea about this concept. So you, they don't even write about it. And then you have others who they like essentially are writing about some of this. Uh, so it's 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 like a really weird, really clunky, and it's just a really bad argument. Um, I, I I mean I I still remember the the arguments when I was in class and we were you know, arguing, trying to only be like ah, this makes no sense. This is like a terrible uh, conversation uh, to have because it's like you're in this circular argument, you know and it goes nowhere, um, you know, because it's like the church is like, it has to be this way. But you're like, so then you have three gods. No, 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 not three. The three gods are the same God. Impossible. That God made another version of himself that, but, 
but that's the same God. So God said himself, no, God was God. This is like, you're like, you're just cycling through this ridiculousness. Um, and, uh, it's, it's, but I, I kind of like that. I like the argument of it. I like arguing about it, but it's, uh, it's a weird one. Sorry. <laughs> it's, it's fine, <laughs> man. It'd be a perfect, it'd be a great, like, 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 like to me, it's like this premise of a, of a really interesting horror story. I should probably write it, but, uh, it's, 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 uh, it's a weird one. I think it's, we can cut this whole part. <laughs> no, I, I, this is the kind of stuff I like, man. You know, I think this is cool. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say so. I, from my, so there were heretical uh, Christians in like the second century who believed that that Jesus was only an apparition and, and was not a physical person, and uh, and they wrote uh, gospels that were destroyed, and we have fragments that have survived where Jesus is just an appearance and not a physical manifestation. And um, which that those are the people that I'm the most interested in from all my study in religion, like the people that were like, Jesus was a ghost who came <laughs> who came here. It's like, that's awesome. That's really cool. But uh, but there's this rec there's this really bad reconciliation amongst all these disparate groups and communities. And it becomes this clunky doctrine. It's like this, like kind of like a junkyard, you know, like like assembly or something it's it's really weird that's when it gets really laughable to me this whole thing because it's almost like these dudes who are like getting together playing D and it's like okay uh, <laughs> uh, how are we going to explain that the dragon destroyed the city of sinosia <laughs> and then it yeah. reappears later you know it's kind of yeah. like that that's what it reminds me of like whenever because i mean i i don't have nearly the background you do in religion but it's something i'm i enjoy reading about and yeah I run into all these inconsistencies and I'm just like, oh, yeah, sure. this is basically like guys hanging out on a Tuesday night at the comic shop after hours doing, <laughs> doing these like pick your pick your adventure stories, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, and I always look at it, um, you know, any book that has to have like four tales of the same story and they're all different, like it's asking you to interpret between them yeah. you know like so when when yeah like when people want to treat it like oh it's this monolithic you're like no there's you told me the same story four times in a row and they're all different i'm sorry this is not this is not really well put together you know <laughs> like and and they all serve different means and different ends but it's like and then you have essentially like the rest of the of the writings are like uh, a guy who who never read the entire first four books you had me read. <laughs> like he had no knowledge of them, right? And half those stories aren't even important to him as he's writing these letters, right? So it's it's fascinating to me, like that in your hands you have the this blueprint that's like all about like interpretation and reflection, and um, they don't line up at all. Uh, and it is inconsistent because it was kind of like cobbled together like a mixtape, you know, of like different stories. Like, and in some ways, I think that makes it more interesting when I explain it that way. Yeah. But, oh, totally. But, but I also know if I were to say that amongst uh, a lot of other believers, I, they would think I was crazy um, and argue with me the entire time. But it's like I know the histories and uh, is on my side about how this thing was 
essentially cobbled together through a bunch of men arguing about it, you know, and, and being like, well, you're a heretic and you're excommunicated. You know, it's like this craziness that happens in the early uh, church um, as they're trying to like make a document that they didn't really do their job. <laughs> they were really bad at it in a way, like, you know, and, and you see like changes that happen and stuff like over time, like, you know, it's, 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 um, it's a weird one. You know, I, I don't know. I like I like it, but I'm I'm probably in the minority. Yeah, no one else. I like I like it too, but I, I like it in the way that I like how um, people have taken Robert Chambers and H.P. Lovecraft's original myth- mythos and added and expanded sure. on those ideas too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like it's like Carl Edward Wagner and all these guys who have like continued to expand on like the Cthulhu mythos and the Yellow King and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's like maybe better than the source in some ways. Probably. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, yeah. So now, as far as uh, where people can pick up all this various uh, music and Mother of Size and all that stuff, where where is the place that everyone can go and purchase? The material that you guys have done so the mother of size digital was released by death bomb art uh so on their band camp and we're doing a very limited physical cassette release with a book with oh. erica's essay um and that'll be available through uh, not, through our private label anathemata editions um and uh that's the place you can get it that's awesome man and uh yeah. when when is the physical uh going to be available It'll be, uh, it's in production right now. So we're hoping in September we'll have it in hand. So we're, we're, you know, tapes haven't been too backed up. Vinyl, it's just like, you're not yeah. seeing that record for over a year, you know, but um, with uh, cassettes, those are moving pretty quick. So, and we, and I like cassettes and, and on my, on Anathemata editions, I normally do like laves or cassettes. So laves are super quick i have a really great guy who cuts all the lathe records and we just did one for this hardcore band called silk leash um i did an axe breaker 10 inch recently um and uh now we're gonna do the mother size cassette um edition we kind of that was like a week ago i think we got everything finalized and stuff so what's what's the book gonna look like what's the story with that so the cassette will come in like a library plastic like document shell and there's a little slip in there for like booklets. So we're going to have like a zine kind of inside with the essay. And uh, any, any artwork associated with that? Uh, we're, well, I don't know. Uh, we have Christian Degen did the artwork for the uh for the album and I, I i think we'll use some more of his work because it's he's just such a great artist and illustrator like he's done some shirts for like deaf heaven and um a few other like hardcore and metal bands and stuff like he's done some really great a lot of black metal like borders and lettering um and but his i'm gonna do a zine with him actually for Nathamata editions we're working on it right now of like landscapes he's drawing these really creepy landscapes and I was like, we should put these all together to fit perfectly in the zine. Um, so like um, Christian, I'll have him probably do some more, I think, because we really like his art. He's a really great, great artist. That sounds great, man. And as as usual, you guys always have some really cool ideas for packaging and, and making it like a full sensory experience, you know? We try. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, I appreciate Especially, it. Like, sure. With with the digital, it's like you need to make something that's like feels more like an experience or more like, um, you know. I mean, especially, you know, I don't know. It's like we're in a time where you can do cool stuff. And I, I feel also like with my with my small label, like we don't make that many things. So it's not hard to hand cut or hand do things and make a little bit more um, unique. Like where if you're making thousands of something like, you know, like you're just you need, you know, you can't hand do anything. That's just you're going to lose your hands will be broken, you know, like, yeah. Uh, it's really hard, but if you, you know, and it's hard to keep things consistent. And, you know, when you can do like 50 or a hundred, that's like pretty realistic to kind of like do a few at a time and, and get them out the door as the orders come in. And, um, you know, I, I think, I think it's a little more doable. That's awesome. And, uh, you know, thanks a lot, man. I really, this is great. This is, uh, <laughs> is it? I, <laughs> I am definitely, definitively saying that this is great. I enjoyed this podcast, and and it was. Uh, we love talking to you, man. We love oh, talking to you. Yeah, man. It's so yeah, so went, interesting, you know. We went down many many rabbit holes, so. Um, <laughs> but it's okay. Well, that's what that's, it's all about, man. That's what. Yeah. That's what it's all yeah. about. I can't. We can't wait to actually see Tombs play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> great. And hang out in person, like oh my gosh, like we we it has to happen. Well, you know we're uh, we're really itching to get out there and play, man. That's like I said, the set that we're doing right now is like all material that we've never performed live before. So yeah, yeah, it should be fun. And likewise, I'm interested to see when you guys come around too. I mean, I know, you know, I know things are are picking up theoretically in New York, but you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah. You know. Yeah, we yeah. have like an entire record that we've written for Holy Circle. Yeah. Um, we plan to record in October, and I think we figured out that only two, only two of the songs, three, three of the. Do we ever play live? Three yeah. of the songs. That's right. On the yeah. full length, um, are songs that we've ever played live, and of course they've changed in the process of yeah writing with our bandmates so yeah i mean definitely would love the opportunity to perform those live mother of size i don't know we've talked about like we're not even like totally sure i i i think we could do it live how yeah. we do it live but i think like we'll, i guess we have time to think about it. yeah <laughs> <laughs> guess we've got time to figure it out i also feel like the barbie pretty highly we have to like make a cool live set or something like that was like visually yeah you know like because it's just such a there's a little bit more pressure on that soundtracky kind of like visual sound thing that, you know and a step up our aesthetic yeah a little bit with that one yeah. yeah yeah it's it's it'll be you know i don't know i know uh locrian we we're looking at touring in 2022 um so we'll see about that. I don't know. It's weird. Like, like our booking agent reached out to us about some dates, and we're like, okay, like we stuff we could do. So we'll see. It's definitely weird, man. I um, when when you don't have anything firm like really going on, it's just like I I can't even remember the last time like I've been home this long, you know, and not on the on tour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you guys were really consistently out there and on really cool packages and stuff too. So it's like, 
man, that's I can't even imagine. Yeah. Like, what the be like? Like, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully it it switches. People take you know like you can at least get a few states together. You know, like maybe just in the Northeast for a while or something. Like it's like, you know, it's uh. Uh, I hope it changes soon and we can start, you know, we get, we're, we can see the shows that are coming through and we can play some shows and stuff and it'll be a good experience. Totally. Yeah. Well, once again, thank you for uh, taking time out and doing this. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for talking to us, Mike. Thank we appreciate you. it.